I Carumba. <laughs> Bart. Bart Simpson. That's my name. Don't wear it out. It's nice to have you here. So, Bart, you have been 12 years old for nearly 30 years. Uh, eat my shorts. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that how it feels? You should be in your 40s. Hey, don't have a cow, man. Okay. Was it this cow that granted you the magical boon of eternal youth? I can't remember any more of my catchphrases. Weren't many of those not really catchphrases and just things they put on T-shirts and people began to think they were catchphrases? Uh, possibly. Can't really be sure. I've I've been this age for 30 years now. I have no idea what I've said or done. But has your mind not aged in that time? Do you feel... How is it? What is it like to be both as old and as young as you are? Have you ever seen the film Interview with a Vampire? Yeah, Bradley Pratt, and Thomas Cruise. Yeah, Thomas Cruise. Chris Dunst. Yeah. Neil Jordan. And uh, not John Cusack, the guy who's like John Cusack, but worse. The guy who's interviewing the vampire. Christian Slater. Okay. <laughs> Let's break kayfabe. <laughs> First, how dare you? <laughs> Second, how very dare you? <laughs> and third, where do you get off? Fourth, mm. just watch Mr. Robot. Is <laughs> it <laughs> intro now? No, I feel like there's more we can talk about. This. Are you not a Heather's fan? Uh, I've, I've never seen it. It seems like something I'll probably like. Yeah. Like, Heather's is good. I, there are some good arguments out there that it's the best Vietnam War film, you know? And it, it really made the director's name after. But I, I think you've got to do it properly. You've got to start with Heather. Mm. Uh, and a lot of people, like, it was taken out of the director's hands, but Heather Cubed, there's a lot of strong stuff in there. I love Charles Dance and Heather Cube. Yeah. And, and you know, I just I just love the weird Frenchness of, of Heather Resurrection. And when Ridley Scott returned to make Prometheus Heathers. Yeah, and then, and then of course, he came back again and made Heather Covenant, which has which has a fantastic scene where one robot Christian Slater teaches another robot Christian Slater how to play recorder erotically. Yeah, and um, also just, some good action beats, I think, in Heather Covenant. I, I think the, a lot of people are against it, yeah. but of all the the franchises, Heather is the one I just kind of want more of. Mm. Like that's what I've got playing Heather Isolation, which is about uh, Sigourney Weaver's daughter, and it is just like spending time in a grotty spaceship with quilted walls. I'm like, and I just like being here. I love eight bit wireframe computers. This is Nice place to be. And that's why I'm excited for Noah Hawley's TV series set in the world of Heather for Disney Plus. Pl- mm. I'm sorry, for Disney Pleather. Yeah, that's fine. That's the uh, Heather streaming service. Oh, no, that'll be on Heathloo, right? Yes. Yeah, and? Nope. Yes, and? No, but? Uh-huh. <laughs> Watch Mr. Robot is what I'm saying to you, though. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 73 on the Sight and Sound list, The Third Man. Carol reads atmospheric noir about a down-on-his-luck writer in post-war Vienna. Our second film this week is Triple X, Rob Cohen and Vin Diesel's 
anti-James Bond film for the people who are fond of Bond's uh, machismo, uh, misogyny, and murder. The thing that's lame that he wears suits. I mean, it is kind of lame that he wears suits, you know? I mean, it's it's less lame than a giant fur coat. Welcome to the podcast, fam. Hello. <laughs> glad glad to be here. Uh, thank, uh, thank, thanks for inviting me back for a 29th week in a row, I think. 31st. Something like that. 31st episode. 30th record. No, 31st record because we split up the mm. year in special and there's the recording we lost. Oh, right, yeah. So it all balances out in the end. Um, this is, of course, Masterpiece. Uh, and it's where we'll watch a Masterpiece uh, and discuss it with one of my uh, close friends. And this week we looked at a interesting, an all-time great film, looking at a, kind of a, a time of real global change. Absolutely. Which looks right at the small of a small European city and puts an American renegade in there who thinks he's there to do one thing, but soon things get far out of control. And it is through yep. the lens of a truly- and, and at one point, a zither plays. <laughs> one point, a zither plays. And through the lens uh, of a truly visionary director, the streets of this European city kind of come alive in a curoscuro fantasia yeah, of, it, of sex and death. Exactly. It, it, it is much more like heightened and, and, and stylized than, than, than we usually see in, in, in this sort of like genre of film. Oh, absolutely. Where, where, where yeah. from, from, from moment to moment, the sort of the geography can, can, can shift. It, it sort of seems like the entire city, the, the entire environment is like, is, is conspiring against our hero. Well, and, and that, our hero, there's a question mark on that. They're, they're, they're a renegade and, and uh, often working to selfish or uh, not entirely altruistic mm. ends. And there's also a question around, you know, the villain. Is there really a villain? Why Why are they doing this? What is the ideology that, that is propelling the, the so-called villain? Um, and it is so interesting that we can... <laughs> The inclusion of the zither is such an inspired choice. Mm. Uh, Ebert in his review says it is like lyrical, but without being sentimental. And I think that's the great thing. These, I mean, it, it sort of sounds like all of the music from SpongeBob is, is what a zither sounds like. This is where I have to reveal that, that, um, SpongeBob is, is slated for a later episode of Masterpiece. I've, I've not seen a whole episode, I believe. Which of the three uh, SpongeBob movies are we doing? Oh no, we're doing the whole. Oh, we're doing every episode? Yeah, yeah. yeah by, cool. okay, by episode cool. by episode. We'll start with the first one, which I presume is um, about how rotten he would very quickly become being an absorbent material at the bottom of the sea. Uh, and then the second is just called the rancidness of this pineapple <laughs> in which he is, <laughs> in which he, a rotting sponge, has to battle the maggots that would certainly infest his pineapple house. Uh, and then, um, I don't know, there's like a hundred more episodes after that. I presume that they're meditations on violence and death. 
But the interesting thing about the inclusion, there's a funny story about the inclusion uh, of the zither in this film. Uh, the director first encountered the zither that he used in Triple X in the score of a <laughs> obscure noir, which you have you ever heard of Carol Reed? Well, Oliver. Oliver is probably Carol Reed's most most famous film. Certainly the best yeah. um, uh, on all fronts, I think. Yeah, it's, a, it's a movie that's part of the, the great English uh, musical tradition of uh, instead of having uh, good singing or dancing, let's just have a lot of people leaping in the background. Oh, it's so, so good. Yeah. Um, um, but what you just said, but unironically. <laughs> no, it, there, there, there are every single British musical in, in that style just doesn't work anymore after you've seen the every sperm is sacred sequence from from Molly Python. He's like, yeah, no, this is this is all of those, but like, but enjoyable. Carol Reed ha- ha- has many other strings to his bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directed the Agony and the Ecstasy, Our Man in Havana, um, adapting the Graham Greene novel, Odd Man Out, which is about a uh, little rascal James Mason, he, yeah, doing some IRA stuff in Belfast. Yeah, um, and, and for a film set and uh, and filmed in Belfast. Uh, not a lot of very accurate Irish accents in that film. No. Um, but maybe that movie especially is just like, this is a, a fantasia on, uh, on, on IRA themes, basically. Well, and it's just the best film long chase scene ever. Oh, I, uh, yeah. uh, five stars. Um, uh, of course, there's the Fallen Idol, which, uh, is best known, uh, been known during, due to its 90s remake as Home Alone. Um, which is about a, a punk kid kind of thrust into a world of daring do when he realizes that uh, things in his large palatial home are not quite as they seem. But, yeah, uh, and there might be a murderer uh, living in his house with him. Yeah. Um, and, and Home Alone uh, had the interesting twist of making the child also the murderer. Yeah. Um, uh, and that child was Buzz, his brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, who would later go on to be in uh, uh, who later go on to be in movie Blue Ruin by Jeremy Sonnier. Oh, but amongst these films, uh, Carol Reed also uh, directed a obscure, forgotten film called The Third Man, um, which is is, is is that about a man with lots of fur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is uh, a uh, one of my many uh, speech impediments is I I cannot pronounce the th sound in in, in words. No. In a film class once, I mentioned uh, uh, I, I mentioned to to my to my professor this uh, the, the, this obscure uh, noir film the, yeah. the 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 third man, and uh, she didn't know what I was talking about because she thought I was talking about a movie called The Third Man about a man with a lot of fur, and it took me quite a while to. Uh, to straighten that one out. Well, and there's no one, like, uh, between the... It's interesting because The Third Man would make a lot more sense referring to Triple X, um, a film where multiple people wear big furry uh, coats yep. throughout, uh, and the coats seem to get bigger throughout the film, which is uh, one of the many interesting games of perspective and scale, the the, the cinematography. Um, by um, sorry, I'm just gonna to to look up Triple X's cinematographer. Of course, I barely need saying it's Dean Semler, um, who um, ah, oh, Mad Max Beyond Thunder, oh. Mad Max Two and Beyond Thunderdome. Okay, Dancers with Wolves, Super Mario Brothers, Last Action Hero, Waterworld. <laughs> Okay, so he was just like Costner's guy for a while. He had 
four films he shot came out in 2002. Oh, wow. Detox, Dragonfly, We Were Soldiers, Triple X. Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, oh. Bone Collector, Click, Apocalypto. Oh, okay. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Oh, my God. Hold in your heart because it's Paul Blart. One, one or two? Two. Okay. Secretariat, okay. Grudge Match, Maleficent, Playing with Fire. Jesus. He's, um, but of course his true masterpiece is the sequence where Xander Cage, played by Vincent Diesel, yep. has been dropped into a Colombian drug field for reasons so clear we don't need to explain them. Uh, and, and he drives a, a motorcycle. Yeah, um, ju- ju- just sort of around. <laughs> Well, no, and uh, a helicopter is chasing him because they've decided uh, he's one of the drug lords. Because yep. and and we 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 learn that the people in the helicopter have decided that uh, uh, when when it cuts to the helicopter and someone says that guy in the motorcycle, he's the drug lord. Well, see, here is of the mini. Like, which is that? I, I think it's a sort of like pr- pr- pretty, pretty trenchant uh, statement on how, uh, uh, on on how a false accusation can ruin a man's <laughs> life. Well, and I think it, it, it's the the interesting thing of digging into Triple X this week's masterpiece um, uh, is that all of the themes, the many, many themes, are so tightly packed mm. together, like the density uh, of information and ideas explored in it and through it and, and the way it does it, it's dramaturgy like the the way Cohen disrupts the digesis is that you just have to pick a point to start and then you just start tracing it like a spiral because spirals kind of go on forever when you yeah, go in and, and they turn you insane out. just like looking at this movie for too long well that and, and I think that that moment where the helicopter pilot says that must be him and they start firing the guns at him is that you're learning about how trenchant this film's views on uh on passing assumptions on people and exactly. on racial profiling with most of us we we think that we are like good people right we think that we are like we think that we we are we are rational we are reasonable mm. we, we 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 don't jump to assumptions yeah but i i think for most of us if 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 we saw if we saw a bald man in a leather jacket riding riding a motorbike through uh, fields of cocaine plants, uh, we might assume that he was involved in the cocaine trade. Yeah, um, and you know that, that's on that's on all of us. And the way Triple uh, X questions and complexifies that uh, is it builds to this moment of serene, pure cinema where we're Xander Cage, we're Alexander Cage. Um, uh, Vincent Diesel's character rides the motorcycle across a building that explodes all around him because the helicopter is firing at him. Mm. And, and here we really land in, in Cohen's use of neo-cubist editing to sustain, extend, and recontextualize moments. And, and very quickly, uh, Cage, the character, becomes just a darkened silhouette against explosions uh, in this space, the geography of which we don't understand, the time of which we don't understand, the logic of the moment we don't understand, but yeah. it is being presented to us. And that's what prejudice does. It, it takes everything apart. And uh, and that was when, you know, that's the that's in the, the end of the first act of, of the film. And that's when I knew I'm going to do this for Masterpiece, but... 
there are connections to be made to the third man. And I think it's always good to, to shout out lesser known films that people haven't seen, especially by undersung heroes. And the third man has a score that's only zither, which is, uh, a, it's a burn choice. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a bit silly. And yeah, we, 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 we get it, Carol Reed. You've, you've got this crazy instrument no one's ever heard of. Well, and it is the interesting thing about the third man is that, that by choosing the aesthetic choice, that kind of strong and current, um, it has aged the film mm. quite poorly. I think sticking to such a modern Zen kind of music. Uh, but it, it stars, uh, Joseph Cotton, who you may know from, um, Orson Welles' masterpiece, The Magnificent Ambersons. Um, Orson Welles himself makes a cameo in this as the titular third man, Harry Lime, Harry Lime, sorry. <laughs> Um, who is uh, uh, a man who is believed dead, mm. but in fact a werewolf? <laughs> and, a, we- a werewolf criminal. It should be. It should be. Well, added. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been- and then, I mean, that, that's when we find out that, uh, that, that like his name wasn't. You know, first of all, we think his name's Harry Lyme, but it turns out he's a werewolf. His name is Harry Lyme. Then he's 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 a he's a criminal as well. And then his name is Harry Crime. <laughs> And, and, and it's that kind of silly and somewhat uh, abrupt. It's, if I was to look at the third man, I would say that a lot of its storytelling is perfunctory, uh, and um, uh, it was it, it was written by Graham Greene, who uh, wrote a novella of the film. But he was always writing it as a screenplay, yeah. and, and uh, the novella was published later, as was the screenplay. And he was writing the novella kind of as a treatment of the film, and you can see that the, the Graham Greene was a was a journalist. He worked in uh, a novelist, uh, but yeah, Graham Greene got his early start uh, as a theatre and film reviewer uh, and on journalist, including being an early champion of the films of one Carol Reed and, oh. and, and, um, they, they worked together several times in, into the future. The, the third man, I believe, being the first time. The thing to understand about Carol Reed is that, that he, he worked in the theater a, a bit as a designer and a stagehand. And when, uh, that theater company began, uh, uh, adapting work to film, it was, um, the theater company that Edward uh, Wallace ran, um, uh, uh, who was a thriller writer, um, Reed jumped into, to that area of, uh, um, of working from theatre to film. And a lot of his early films were literally B movies, were, were B movies, uh, made when the British government had a law about how many films needed to be shown in England that had to be from Britain. Right. And which yeah. essentially ended with a lot of, um, people making films just to make films so they can make good films, you know? They're called quota quickies, is my understanding. Right. Um, and, and through that, uh, Reed learned his craft and, and found a champion in Graham Greene who would go on to write the third man film to direct. And it is those kind of humble, kind of incohate, somewhat scrappy beginnings. You can see while the third man has, ha- has some charms, certainly, uh, as a record of the era, 
it is perhaps best known uh, for the fact that uh, Rob Cohen, fresh off the success of defining a genre, a generation of action kinema, um, in, um, the Fast and the Furious, um, was like, now I've done one for them. Yeah. Now it's time to make one for me. So like a personal film. Yeah. So he, he teamed up. Of course, uh, with Neil Moritz as the producer and Rich Wilkes and, and Vincent Diesel, who, who played, um, I believe Patrick Swayze in the Fast and the Furious. Um, and they said, if we could make anything, what would we make? Yeah. Blue sky, no bad ideas. And, um, I believe it, it's a story that's gone down in the ages. Mm. Uh, so I barely need saying, but, but Vin said, well, it's funny. Um, a couple of months ago, I got blackout drunk and woke up with a tattoo. Uh, and, and he turned around to show that on the back of his neck, he has three X's, um, three stylized X's on the back of his neck. And he said, could we in some way tie it to this? Or else I feel like I look like a bit of a chump. And otherwise, we know Vin is a dignified and I would say serious man. Yeah. Who is very aware of how he appears. He, no one has a better sense of, of their public persona, I think, mm. than Vincenzo Petrol. Um, and like, one, one thing you can say for Vin is, uh, I think out of all of the like modern action stars, uh, he is the one who is the most bloodshot. I think there is, um, a thing we need to talk about. An, an interesting thing issue that, mm. that faces us in the modern kinematic landscape uh, is that so much of the major texts come from camp, your superheroes, your giant monsters, your um, but those are the two kinds of films uh, that are made essentially. And a, a lot mm. of modern drama is playing very deliberately with soap opera tropes, which is again, camp it's big it's vibrant it's it's vivacious um and yet so much of the modern interpretation has been like in in the in the late aughts we looked at speed racer and said no that's too silly and we looked Mm -hmm. at iron man and said yes considering it's basically the same thing but made by straight people and a bit dry as balls uh, and that within, uh, and so yeah, when, when, when what, what culture should have done is looked at Tetsuo the Iron Man and said, <laughs> yes, more of this, please. Um, I do genuinely fantasize quite a lot about what it would be like to live in a world where Speed Racer and not Iron Man was the template. I for- mean, yeah, it would be a better world. Because even like the superheroes films before then, um, like, I fully believe Trump wouldn't have been elected if, if, if Speed Racer had been the, the thing that dominated pop culture. The only thing I disagree with you there is uh, Trump was never actually elected. Good point. Um, but um, is that so much of our modern culture is camp stripped of camp. Uh, and it is even more interesting facing like uh, the big sensation of the day being WandaVision, which is a show that starts out deliciously camp. And then it's twisters. Lol, just kidding. It is just another fucking Marvel show. And like people going into neon lit rooms and looking at monitors and being like, Oh, what does the hexagon mean? <laughs> and you're just like, no, like it's great. I, I love spending time with Cat Den 
names <laughs> uh, and hooray for Paul Bettany, but can no, 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 we, we're having so much fun before. Yeah. What Vin has going for him is that he can't not be camp. Yeah. What Vin Diesel is doing is a drag performance of masculinity. And I don't think he knows he's doing that. But that's the thing. I like when uh, in trip in one of I mean, the- I, 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 I have, I have heard, uh, um, I, I believe from, from, uh, from, from Boole's number one Vin Diesel fan, Griffin Newman, oh, yeah. that when he was like coming up and like acting and getting into filmmaking, did like spend a lot of time around like drag queens and was, I don't know, like involved in drag community, but, yeah. but like was like at least like adjacent to it and. Well, and that, and, and like a lot of that is like, he makes a lot of incredibly heterosexual films, um, yes. and incredibly heterocentric films, but there is actually surprisingly little homophobia. Yeah. And his films are, like, it feels like Vin Diesel is in gay panic films more than he actually is. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I haven't seen, uh, Triple X for Return of Zander Cage, but like, from, from what I understand about that, there, there, there is like, a lesbian couple in that film and they're just like allowed to be that and it's not like the butt of any jokes and it's not like oh isn't this hot there's two yeah. there's two girls who are having sex. No, it's just like it, it, it's like the one time that the film like isn't gross to women is when there are two gay women well and and like the key thing to remember about vin diesel is that he's the only person who has successfully gotten an entire hundred million dollar action film made adapting his D D character. Yeah. Like he like he he's a ridiculous nerd. And it and it is like even in in many of the it's hard to pick a favorite scene from Triple X because it's obviously so iconic and we were watching it just hypnotized, right? Um we barely spoke is what I noticed while we were watching Triple X. Yep. Um uh but I think um, there's a scene that really um, uh, th- throws an interesting question on representation of women, um, which is uh, when he's staying with Martin Sokas uh, in a uh, big kind of uh, it's palace. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's, a castle. It's like a, it's somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah, it certainly has someone chained up in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Aja Argento, of whom we need not speak more, uh, takes him to his room and he goes into his room and uh, there's a woman there uh, who is uh, in her undergarments. Yeah. And this is a woman who's credited only as Zander's bedroom dancer. Mm. And uh, the room is uh, filled with candles, like it's the cover of a romance novel yeah um and, and you may think that i'm exaggerating how many candles are in this room there are hundreds of candles in this room yeah, it's and, a real and, fire hazard and the only thing you can think about at like apart from that that you're like okay zander cage is about to have sex with this woman who like just like appeared in his room whatever this this is like why put this in a movie but you're just like has she spent the last four hours waiting for him to get there, just just lighting candles? <laughs> and and that room would be quite hot at that uh, point. Absolutely. So no wonder she's got uh, undressed. Uh, and um and as he's about to uh, initiate the sexual coupling, he says the things I do for my country. Where- but he sort of mumbles this. <laughs> it shows a true reverence for a text when you can throw it away. You know, I think, uh, 
amongst the most interesting choices Kenneth Branagh makes in his Hamlet, uh, a sincerely good film that I like very much. The last film before The Hateful Eight, made entirely on um, 70 millimeter film, of Ooh. course, is looking at the lines he chooses. He kept the whole text or one version of the whole text. Or we do, we've got a masterpiece lined up in the future that's all about the different texts of Hamlet and like, do you have the scene of, um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern seeing them off onto the boat, even though that most likely, um, was never actually performed, uh, by Shakespeare's company at the time. I, I don't want to get into that, but it, it's what he throws away. And it, the thing about that line is that it does not fit in the scene or the world because it's him giving away that he's undercover to a woman who clearly directly reports to the uh, international terrorist he he's yeah. undercover with. Uh, I, I think you meant him. he's just banking on the fact that she doesn't speak English. Because th- if she does, then the entire movie uh, would just end there. I, but because the film has trained us to always question reality, to always look at more than one level hmm. of, of truth. I think it's interesting to have that moment there because it's clearly him speaking to us as an audience and saying, what is a country? What is it to serve? What is the physical act of love? And what are candles? And the candles, of course, remind us of the explosion earlier. And we remember the judgments we're making of him. And now the judgments he's making of others. It's truly a hypnotic work, and I think Cohen. You know, they, they 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 say that every man is an island, but is also every man a country? So, like when we see Xander Cage about to have sex with this woman, and he and he says the things I do for my country, is he at this moment only thinking about his own pleasure? And what is his pleasure exactly uh, in that moment? And is his pleasure our viewing? pleasure and that and that's not and that's what i mean when i say it's a camper drag performance uh of a role it's not in the world it's commenting on the world i think i think i see looking through rob cohen's filmography is a, a lot of use of the fremdunst effect this deliberate distancing is when you look at films like dragon the bruce lee story the rat pack skulls of course stealth uh, the Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor, The Boy Next Door, Hurricane Heist, and of course, let's say it together, Alex, Alex Cross. <laughs> uh, and, and when, like, you don't cast Tyler Perry by accident. You are casting the whole, the whole of someone's semiotic denseness, Exa- their position exactly. you, in you, the you, world. You, you're, you're casting the, the, you're casting the, the leader of Starfleet, you're casting, uh, Medea, um, and the several other characters, um, played in Medea, yeah. um, and Tyler Perry comes up a lot on this show. Colin Powell in Vice, oh, remember? I, I did, look, did not see Vice. Just, 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 just did not see it. That's what you expect. Yeah, that's why I didn't see it. No, it's not bad. I just, I just wish Adam McKay would go back to making comedies. Yeah. Um, and there was in in 2019 there, there, there was there was there was an essay that I really wanted to write but uh, could never work up the motivation to. It was called "Please Take Me Seriously," and it was about the trend of uh, 90s and early 2000s uh, gross-out comedy directors wanting to be uh, taken seriously as political thinkers. Ah, uh, yeah. And it was going to be about Adam McKay, Jay Roach, Todd Phillips, 
and uh, there's, 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 there's like one more, I think. All of those guys went from making uh, the, the dumbest, crassest movies that they like turned a uh, uh, generation of men into uh, gibbering idiots. Uh, now I want to be like, hmm, but what does the Joker say about society? And does it make him horny, baby? Yes, it does, I think. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Oh, behave. But it, it was, uh, um, before we watched Triple X, um, uh, I went back to Rob Cohen's filmography. And when you watch the spread of his work, Dragonheart, Daylight, films we've already mentioned. And I, it, it's safe to say he's one of cinema's best stylists. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it is sad to see him compared so much and to, to go back to, to go all the way back of course when he saw that tattoo on Vin's neck he said Sorry, uh, <laughs> just, just a quick question is this is this still your intro or is this of a show <laughs> well let's see <laughs> the, I thought, I thought, um, let's to break kayfabe for a moment <laughs> I just don't know how you discuss the third man without being like, it's so it, good. It, this is really good. And this scene, he goes, the next scene is still really good. <laughs> and, and so I was like, what if we play opposite day? <laughs> yeah. I, just, I mean, look, fair. I hope it's obvious, you know? Yeah. And I feel like we can, we, for us, we should get more onto the third man. Yeah. But in it, but speaking of the third, uh, uh to, to get back. <laughs> Rob Cohen, uh, when he saw Vin's uh, neck tattoo, said, I know exactly the piece of music to establish um, when we, when, um, when your character Alexander Cage goes to um, a city Prague. to Prague. Um, I know just the music to establish that scene. Well, that was actually the second thing that Rob Cohen said. The the first thing he said after looking at the tattoo was like, "Hey, that reminds me of porn." Ha 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 ha! And then they high five. Uh, well, no, Vin, Vin Diesel um, immediately said, "I've never watched pornography. I I don't know what about me would imply to you that I in any way objectify women." Yeah, what 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 do you think I am? Some sort of Don John starring <laughs> starring Joseph Gordon Levitt? I- what? I hope I'm I, I worry a little that that's what you know because what is it my life my boys my job my porn yeah. like that like that is that what Vin Diesel's life is like mm, probably um not my family yeah yeah my family my D and D yeah my uh my uh, passion project to make a film about Hannibal my not wearing a tie. Because my because uh, my neck uh, will not uh, allow it. I'm just trying to think of if you've ever seen him. There's a scene in one of the Fast and Furious movies where everyone like walks into like a fancy party and everyone is wearing like all all the women are wearing like evening gowns or whatever, and all the men are in like tuxes with ties, and he is just he's the only one not wearing a tie. Oh yeah, no, it doesn't. It it, it reveals the proportion. But let me just tell you from these Google search results, dude, fucking rocks a bow tie. Then. Yeah, Vincent. Oh, there's, there's actually pictures of him in a bow tie? Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, multiple ones. Oh, wow. Um, this one uh, in a Hollywood Reporter story about uh, his first single. Oh, right. Feel Like I Do, which, of course, he uh, debuted on the Kelly Clarkson show. But was it Kelly Clarkson or was it Ellen? It was, I'm, I'm looking at the Hollywood Reporter okay. right oh. now, and that it says latest music news, but that is... 
from the 25th of September 2020. I'm sure there has been music news since then. No. Can, can you can you think of any? Well, it was the 10th anniversary of Friday by Rebecca Blank the other day. Well, it was, yeah. She, 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 she released a new remix of it. Yeah, I don't like it. Yeah. It is the first Dorian Electra song, song featuring Dorian Electra that I've listened to and been like, nah. Yeah. But like, I, I, I would, I would like her to do like more stuff in that sort of direction, like, like working with people like Dorian Electra and like, and, oh. and like, and like AG Cook, who's, who's like a really interesting, like, oh. re- interesting producer. And, and, and Rebecca Black as someone who is like fully claiming and subverting what happened to her is, is yeah. an unabashedly good thing. The news recently, just while we're on, no, the, yeah. the really, that's good music news. Other good music news, the Britney Spears dad no longer has power of yep. attorney over her. Fuck that guy. Hooray for Britney. Leave Britney alone. Absolutely. The other thing about Rebecca Black, I think in, in 2019, uh, uh, she, uh, she went, she went on tour with, uh, uh, with a band called Man Man, which is a really, really like good experimental rock band that, 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 that I love. And like, and they're just like, yeah, she's really cool. So we'll have her open for us on on the tour, and then all the man man fans are like, yeah, actually, she kind of rules. Yeah, we will, and it is like I. What I like so much about the narrative she's chosen for herself is that there is no explaining. Uh, implicit in the premise of her current behavior is like, yeah, you should feel bad for how you treated me. Yeah. I was just a kid, um, and like, fuck yeah, but also, Friday being ten years old. Uh, time is a bastard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I, but here's the thing. Like, you remember Friday coming out. Yes. And you were like, I was in high school. Mm. I remember Friday coming out and I finished university. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's just so. So what Rob Cohen said <laughs> is I know the perfect piece of music. Do you guys, have you guys heard of Carol Reed? And I, and then said no. And so they showed him the third man and, and they said, well, 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 this is, you know, a, clearly a product of its time. A lot of the people who are involved in this seem to be somewhat monstrous. Mm-hmm. The plot doesn't hold together. It's, it's too focused on spectacle. Yeah. And then Ben said, I'm surprised they let a woman direct it. And Rob, Rob had to say, no, Carol can also be a man's name. And, <laughs> and then he, I mean, I mean, Ben said, Oh, yeah, well, how do you explain Carol starring, <laughs> starring Kate Blanchett and, and Rudy Mara? And, and Rob Cohen said, no, it's okay, Ben. That movie's still like 13 years away from coming out. And Ben said, oh, thank God. But I can, it, I can sleep again. It is a brief moment. Did this happen to you? Because it was a moment to me of like, I, I, I saw the third man and was like, fuck, what an incredible film. <laughs> what like, we are like, I, absolutely understand the hype of this film and is directed by a woman (laughs) because i was young yeah and then like learning that carol reed is a man and you're like the number one british film of all time (laughs) according to critics directed by a woman hooray yeah oh and like 1949 like a woman could have directed a film then yeah yeah, and like she would have had a terrible time. Well, I mean, like like six years after this, Ida Lupino was was directing movies. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they like there there were women directing. Yeah. Uh, uh, at the time, um, despite the obvious issues, women can't see in black and white; they yeah. can only see in color. And no films had been made in color by 1949. Yep. None. They didn't have be- none. <laughs> 
So after Rob, Vin, Neil Moritz, and Rich all watched the third man, they're like, wow, you're right. That, that reference will really pull the whole of, of Triple X together. And I think it, it's worth diving into the third man to look at what it can tell us about Triple X. Yeah, about, so key background on the third man. Um, the, um, is a definite article. Yeah, one of the most important words in English language. In fact, I just used it twice in that, in that last sentence. Yeah, and, and like that is like a variant of it, like mm-hmm. a special edition yeah. hologram variant yeah, of no, that. In a, in, a, in a steel book. Um, third is when a man is covered in, in hair. Yeah. Or, or fur. Or, 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 or a woman. Um, no, no, no. So, so yeah, Carol Reed had directed uh, these kind of B-level films, mm. uh, and working his way up to kind of like noir thrillers like, uh, Night Train to Munich, which is, uh, great fun if you ever get a chance. It's part of the charters in Caldecott cinematic universe. Okay. Uh, two characters who uh, were. Are, are they also in, uh, are they also in a Hitchcock movie? Yes. Yeah, they, 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 they were in The, the Lady Vanishes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, by- yeah, where, where they do a, uh, a bunch of hilarious uh, 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 comedy bits about how they're late for a cricket match. Yeah, no, they they love talking about cricket, yeah. uh, the same as in Night Train to Munich. Um, and they were in, like, ten films. Yeah. Um, in a couple of cases under different names for copyright reasons, but, like, there was a shared universe. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, 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 they, they were, like, the, the, they were, the, like, English, like, Abbott and Costello of the 30s. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, they did it. They had a radio show. Oh. Um, they appeared on stage and shit like that. Um, and, but like, their film is, is still a bit boilerplate. Right. Uh, in a lot of ways, you can really see Carol Reed's, we have to admit, flawed, uh, uh, like noir style as he edges towards this kind of neorealistic stark where Everything is shadow and people are just kind of faces dipping in and out of darkness. Yeah. As he gets into the like late forties, uh, he, 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 well, he, he, he goes oh. to war. Uh, oh, and right. it's, when he comes back from war is, is when he makes Odd Man Out and, and, and Third Man, which are kind of big turnaround. Yeah. Odd Man Out is, I think, 47. And then Fallen Idol, which is his first movie with Graham Greene, was 48. And then Third Man yeah, is 49. Yeah. 47, 48, 49. And, yeah, which is it, a hell of a fucking run. And he made films during the war for them. So there are films right. that are called things like The Way Ahead, The New Lot, Tr- and True Glory. Yeah. But, um, I've not seen them, but they're, they're largely just propaganda. And I presume beautiful propaganda. Mm. But yeah, no. And, and Odd Man Out, um, The Fallen Idol, and The Third Man, I think, tell us a lot about Triple X. Because uh, like Rob, like if time had been better... Because the thing about Triple X is that, that time has been so kind to it. Yeah. It's not dated a day. It's less a time capsule than it is a window into the past, you know? Yeah. The, the storytelling feels so modern. And the problem with the third man is that it's, it's aged so poorly. Uh, and, but, but when I think about Rob, Rob Cohen's run of, of course, the Fast and the Furious, Triple X, and then Stealth, um, which are three of the best films made in any genre. You 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 watch, you watch Stealth, and you see like Jamie Foxx and Jessica Alba 
and uh, the other guy uh, flying a bunch of planes. Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas. Yeah, I was about to say Cole House, and I knew that wasn't correct. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, you see them like flying planes and stuff and like fighting a robot plane. And you're like, this could be from any point in history. This is timeless cinema. Well, and it's a moment of, of absolute synthesis and that it is not. When, when you praise Rob Cohen's work, you're not praising Rob Cohen. You're praising everyone involved. And, yeah. and so when you look at Fast and Furious, when you look at Triple X, when you look at Stealth, it is all these incredible people at the top of their game. No one is missing. And, and like, that's the tragic thing. When you look at that 47 to 49 run of Odd Men Out, The Fallen Idol, and The Third Man, if time had been better and, and if Carol Reed had just had a little more gumption, mm. had been more of a Cohen, that would have been a run of equal or greater power. Three real five star films all in a row. Um, that kind of are post noir, but very noir mm. in that they're past, they're technically neo noirs, right? Out of all the film genres, I think like noir is the one where it's like, it has the most like specifics to how it's defined in terms of like like when and where it had to be yeah. made, and so I I I think uh, I think there would some there would be some people who would say if a film wasn't made in America it's not a, it's not a noir yeah but uh but I think the the like accepted time period for noirs is like forty four or forty five to fifty five so I think these are still within the like time period and they are as much as there is clearly you know, the Maltese Falcon idea of what noir is. Yes. And, and, and Carol Reed's films are very much not that. Yeah. They're, mu- they're, they're much more abstract. They're starker. Yeah. And the, yeah, they're, 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 they're not like detective films, which is what we usually think of when we think of noir. Well, they, well the, 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 the third man is sort of, is more in that tradition. Well, and, and the fallen idol is a detective film, not from the detective's perspective. Yeah. And the fallen idol, another clear influence on Triple X, because the, the fallen idol, Idol, um, the the lead is a small child um, who, who's like eight or nine, yeah. uh, and uh, to get a good performance out of him, which he did, uh, Carol Reed uh, coached him very heavily. And, and when watching it, there are like a thousand cuts in that film, which is like I've seen the specific numbers, but it's something like there are three times more cuts per average than any other film, mainstream film that came out that year. Oh, okay. And that, and that's just so that they could always just cut to the kid's best take on every line. Yeah. There's no sustained shots of him, but because the whole film is done at the sped up pace because of those cuts, because he matches that pace through all other dialogue, you don't get a sense of that. And Rob Cohen clearly looked at that and said, what if I applied that logic? to working with Vin Diesel? What if I made a film that that cuts so rapidly and seemingly randomly that single moments seem to last forever, like you're trapped in them just drowning, just drowning mm-hmm. as that car falls off that bridge and you're like, will this ever fucking end? I'm, yep. I mean, I'm it does end here. with you being buried under an avalanche. Uh, and you're like, oh, cool, great. Or taking... Sustained moments of, of drama. The, 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 of course, there's a scene in a, in a restaurant where Azia Argento's character and Vin, Vincent Diesel's character, Alexander Cage, 
um, uh, reveal that they both have kind of hidden agendas to yeah. be uh, part of the villain's plot. Uh, where, where, where first Vin Diesel says to Asia Argento, hey, I'm actually a secret agent. Yeah. And she laughs at him and says, haha, no, you're not. You can be a secret agent. You look like like that. And then uh, she gets a phone call immediately from someone saying, hey, we just found out he's a secret agent. <laughs> and if Reed had directed that scene, if the, the Reed who directed Third Man had directed that scene, it would be played in looks and performance and, and Green's words would be just the right ones so that we would know what is happening without it always being there mm. at the top of the mind uh, and that the conversations would always seem to skew plot heavy but that is because it trusts subtext to be occurring which is something that they would uh, kind of as cowards retreat mm. again to in um, Our Man in Havana um, uh, in 1959, which probably reads last good film. Um, and I mean, Oliver is good fun. Like every bit of Oliver that, that Carol Reed has control over is good. Yeah. Um, it's just a filmed version of a stage musical that I, I don't like, but fuck, it looks good. Um, and so. Realizing that you don't need that kind of subtext or inter-character dynamic or really any kind of tension whatsoever in a film, Rob Cohen cuts that moment of them at the restaurant so, so rapidly as if he doesn't trust the audience. It's, and it's an affront to us. It's the from Dunst effect again, as I, as I was saying, he's saying, observe what is this? What is this moment? Are these not just two piles of meat talking? Yep. How 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 many pennies are in this opera? <laughs> Thrip. Right. Good. Okay. Good. Good. Get an answer. Um. Yeah. And but so the third man. And that's your intro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like opposite day. I'm like sure, but I. I <laughs> you just I, want I, to talk about the third man. Yeah, and it was like, I I I have a harder time knowing how to engage with this when it's when it's this bit. <laughs> when it's this bit being the opposite. <laughs> But every is it not just just say what you want to say about the third man, but then say it's about <laughs> Triple X? So here is the problem with the third man. There's not a bad bit of it. No. There's not Like it it, it starts off with these credits where where the credits are coming up over just like a shot of the front of a zipper <laughs> and you see the strings move as the most, as like one of the most iconic pieces of film music of all time plays. Yeah. And it seems like, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna rule for the next like hour and 55 minutes. Well, and I think it is to Triple X's credit that, that Cohen lifts and elevates that moment, mm. um, of, of, uh, uh directly, there, there are close up shots of, of the zither. Yeah. Um, that, that's the reference. Um, working shot and sound. I think there, 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 there are actually more things that, that these two films have in common. But like, yeah, that is like the, when it says on the IMDb page for the third man, this movie is referenced in Triple X. It's just in the scene where they arrive in Prague, they play the third man theme. And then there's a shot of someone playing a, a zither. Well, and I think, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they're playing the zither in a nightclub. Where there's like also techno music playing, maybe not sure. That seems like something Triple X would do. Yeah. It's that kind of juxtaposition of 
of genres that really reveals it as as a blooming onion yep. of, of ideas, texture, taste, brilliance. So, um, and it is like to unpack why the third man works is the ultimate dissecting a frog, right? Because it is kind of, it's just that everyone in it is doing it a hundred percent good job. Yes. Like every, every person on that set, I'm sure that the catering on set was, was exquisite. Yeah, I was going to do a catering you know? joke. <laughs> no, but. So, Third Man, written by Graham Greene, yeah. directed by Cal Reed, uh, uh, it was shot by Robert Kruska, who is, uh, did, like, definitely my favorite black and white cinematographer, maybe my all-time favorite cinematographer. Uh, I, I've only seen three movies that he shot, because uh, that's basically all he did in black and white. I don't care about his color work. Uh, so he, he, he shot the David Lean film Brief Encounter, and then he shot, uh, and, and then he shot Odd Man Out, and the third man for Cal Reed. Yeah, so what, what, what I, what I love about Robert Kraska with his black and white work is there is absolutely nobody who could shoot a loneliness and despair like he could. Shit, yeah. Like, if you haven't seen Brief Encounter, the David Lean film, what one of the, like, uh, great, like, tragic romance films of all time, and that movie is mostly just, like, close-ups of two people who are uh, so deeply in love and know that their relationship will not work out. Yeah. And, and like, the, 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 the way that, like, he puts you inside their feelings is, is incredible. And like with, with, with well, and with, helped by two incredible performances. Yes, oh, yes, absolutely. And and like with 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 Odd Man Out, the the way that he turns like Belfar, the, the the like like his his like hyper stylized, extreme contrast, like black shadows, white snow, the vision of vision of Belfast is like. One of my favorite things to look at in a, in a movie. Um, Odd Men Out feels like one of those films that is a lot more influential than people think it is. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of things, uh, in, in moments, especially how him and Reed together pace, uh, action mm. and tension and how they kind of sustain beats of, of fear, even while a million other things are going on feels incredibly modern. Yeah. I, 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 I did not know almost anything about the old man out before uh, I watched it, um, earlier this week. And it, like, if, if you, all you need to do to remake it is make it into widescreen, you know, like then it would be a modern film. Yeah. That is a movie where like in every scene, all the characters are playing like at least like three or four levels of subtext and like everyone is like, everyone, everyone is constantly making these internal moral choices and yep. oh, and it's, it's 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 so so beautifully captured and it shouldn't work um in that it is essentially a a, a guy who's just got out of prison uh, to to get back on good side with his old gang he's forced to do another crime mm. which goes wrong and then he's on the run and then he's on the run yeah uh, but, for but, a night. but while he's on the run he is injured the entire time so he's 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 yeah. just limping he 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 when we say he is on the run, he does not run for a moment in the movie. No. Um, and, and it is this kind of single, and like he encounters many hilarious, crazy characters along the way. Um, and it should be deadly because mm. it, everything about it feels inevitable and everything about it feels almost preordained yeah. um, and predictable. But it is the, sh- and like it is the thing we all keep hitting with Reed. 
is just like the sheer craft of it is so exquisite. And like there's like the plot of the third man is kind of the plot of any film noir, which is like man comes across dead body and is like, hmm, something's not right here. Yeah. And you'll never guess, but something's not right. But it is the kind of enraptur not enrapturous, this like enforced detail like the sense of the world it starts with this narration by reed right yeah. well the british version does and the american version it started with joseph cotton doing narration oh, okay yeah. but that version people don't talk about that anymore yeah. starts with carol reed in characters like a old bootlegger being yeah. like i lived in vienna i was in four pieces and then there was this guy holly mason martins no, martins Who's Holly Mason? Uh, uh, you're just confusing with James Mason. No, I'm thinking of Hollis Mason, oh. who is, I think, the comedian in Watchmen. Uh, yes. Uh, yes, you are correct. After the, like, fantastic, like, Ziva opening credits, it goes to, like, an exposition montage. Just like June. <laughs> yes. But, like, the, like, wave that Reed narrates it, Green's writing, and, like, choices of shots that you still illustrate everything there's so much that can be like left unsaid explicitly in the narration but it's like supported by 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 the shot choices and it's like it's it's just it's such a fantastic way to open a film and it it is it, it feels both like it's kind of doing something lazy like oh here we'll, we'll just have a montage where, where someone like explains to you what the movie's about and like what the setting is but it it is done in like in such a controlled and smart way. Well, and, and it's there for the best reason, any narration, which is to get the shoe leather out of the way. Yeah. So you don't have to have someone being like, oh, but there's this crime. How does it work? How does Vienna work in this situation? Mm. And no, you just, you just got to follow uh, this character uh, on this journey through this, this place that you already have a map for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is it, the point being that it's just the point of craft of that. Of, of how well they do it and how well they do everything in this film is that this is not, this film isn't a good idea. It's not a bad idea, but it's not like that plot's so good. Right. You yeah, couldn't yeah. fail it. And like, like there are a million other iterations of Titanic by other scriptwriters that are just as good. Yeah. There are, there are a million other iterations of Star Wars that yeah. are just as good. And there's a movie called Journey into Fear that I'd originally wanted to do with the Birdman, which is which is another Joseph Cotton Orson Welles forties noir. And like that 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 movie so, like does sort of the same stuff as as this movie, but just kind of like not as good. And it is just yeah the the we have all the versions of the Third Man that are. <laughs> the third man but made by other people and they're not as good yeah and and that's because what makes the third man great is all of these people together working at the height of their craft yeah to make something that is um like i wouldn't make this argument like my this film is it, it, i i i appreciate and love this film more than i like it if you know what i mean yeah. i think it's excellent rather than favorite uh, uh, um for me personally but that's a taste thing yeah, yeah but it is one of those things where like i and when people are like it's the best british film ever made or the best film ever like i'm like i'm not mad at i'm not mad at that idea for yeah. a certain value of what best um is and that it is the best example of these things and how you do this and how a film should look. 
So Harry Lime has got not got scurvy. Nope. But but he uh, 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 he is uh, dead of a car crash, which you know doesn't doesn't matter how much vitamin C you have, can't can't stop a speeding car. Um, and, and so Holly is sent is like, ah, oh, I was coming to town. See, my friend has a has a limo. Mm. Um, and, but um, he's dead. Yeah, he he, di- he died just like the day before he got there, and he's like, oh, now now now, what am I going to do? Yeah, um, investigate his death. Yeah, pretty much. And um, luckily, everything is as it seems. And um, yeah, the or, military or, like will get on a plane out of here. Gets on that plane. Credits rolled. It's a it's a short sub best short subject at the Oscars. But no, uh, they're like, oh yeah, two people um carried him off the road when he was hit by a car. But but one of his neighbors was like, no, there was a third man, and and, um, and, Hob- and and then as soon as as soon as this guy says, "Feel the third man," I start going, "Yes, <laughs> no, no." Holly said, "Stop, stop, stop!" Right there, say that again. <laughs> and anyway, yeah. So he 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 has to he has to go around Vienna, talking to talking to different people, trying trying to make trying to make friends, and trying to form some sort of connections that will allow him to figure out what the fuck's going on. Uh, he, uh, uh, he, he falls in love with a mysterious woman named Anna Schmidt, who's played by Alida Vali. Yep. Uh, meets a, uh, 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 he meets a major in the, uh, major in the British Army, as, uh, 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 Major, Major Calloway, played by Trevor Howard, uh, uh, who, uh, 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 who rules. Uh, and looks like a drawing of a man. Yeah. Like he, he looks like someone just roughly needed to sketch what, what a major or colonel in the armed forces looks like. And they're like, Oh, I've only got four lines to do this with. So he's <laughs> just going to be, this made him all cheekbones. <laughs> yeah. He is like, it seems rude to call him gaunt, but not to him, but to the word gaunt, <laughs> you know, like he is, and this is a compliment. The most skeletal person in the world. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah, he, he, he's, 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 he's like, what if Grandma Tarkin was hot? I mean, there's one bit of that that I disagree with, and that's, I mean, hey, yeah. if he wasn't hot, he'd just be a moth. Yeah, you know, he'd just be standard moth Tarkin. Do you think Grand Moff is what George Lucas calls his no, erection? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? No, I, I think he calls it Sebulba. <laughs> No, I think <laughs> I have a grand moth of my Sebulba. I mean, I think it, it, every time him and his wife are about to have sex, he, <laughs> he strips fully naked in front of her, <laughs> looks down his penis and says, what ovo? <laughs> he says, Sebulba, grand moth. <laughs> um, and, and now, uh, during the act... Uh, no, he, he sees he, now he, this is Rod pacing. Uh, <laughs> every, every time George Lucas is, is trying to initiate sex with his wife, he says, do you want to make some jizz music? And then he looks at the camera, says, Skywalker, I hardly know her. Gives a cheeky <laughs> wing. And, and the camera iris is in. And, doop, and then it says, the end and the Looney Tunes <laughs> plays. <laughs> Um, and so yeah, so Holly goes on this, this, this deep kind of dank voyage through the underworld, uh, uh of Vienna. Yeah, he's, he's getting involved in all sorts of stuff. 
He, he gets uh, uh, he gets scared by a cockatoo at one point. That's <laughs> pretty which, hilarious. As, as I pointed out, is the second Orson Welles movie that involves a cockatoo-based jump scare. I mean, it's his signature. Yeah, no, it, like it, 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 it like I, I would, I would bet you because Orson Welles did did like heavy rewrites on this film. It's 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 said. Yeah, no, that like he 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 definitely had a hand in the cuckoo clock speech. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That 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 stuff feels so well. But this is also in one of his many periods of like. Um, I'm doing as much as I can for yeah. as much money and, and where, um, where it would be the stories of like, he would hire a car and be like, okay, you're going to take me through these seven radio studios. And he would at 9am turn up at a radio studio, go and sit down and be like, father beans, they're green, they're round. Yum. I'm Orson Welles. <laughs> Got it? Okay, bye. And then like 907, get yeah, in the car, yeah. 915. And, and like he, he shot for a week on this film and like you could shoot. In a modern world, you could shoot Orson Welles' role in this film in a day. Yeah. Um, and, and especially because a lot of the shots of him in the sewers are not him, a, th- a thing you, mm-hmm. you don't notice because he thought it was gross down there. And you know what? Not for the last time, I found myself agreeing <laughs> with Orson Welles. Um, yeah, I, I, I would be like, like, I, I, I would bet that the, 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 the scene where, where Holly walks into a dark room. And he's and he hears a sound. He says, "Who's there?" And he turns the light, and a cockatoo starts screeching at him, and he gets frightened. I would I would bet that's an Orson Welles like uh, thing thing that he added in. Yeah, oh, I yeah, I just don't. Um, Peter Bogdanovich r- writing on this uh, on on how much did Wells how involved in the script was he? Yeah, um, it makes the point that like Wells's influence on this film doesn't need to have been tangible in terms of like he did a pass on the script because yeah. that's highly debatable and like it's not crazy graham green is a good writer yeah and yeah. like you know um and so it's not crazy but it is the thing of like you know, like his biggest influence on this film is that he made citizen kane <laughs> he you know like he yeah. made a bunch of films that look like this or moved kind of like this before this, like he laid the groundwork for it. Yeah. Like Wells is one of those guys I, I talked about on the Magnificent Anderson's episode, which is like, just like when he's on screen, it all like it becomes an Orson Wells movie. Well, and that is like the almost the greatest tragedy of the third man is that it's not a surprise he's in it because that the reveal, um, that there's, um, we learn that what is Vali's character name? Uh, 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 her name is Anna Schmidt. That's right. Um, uh, she has a cat, uh, who doesn't like Holly doesn't like martins and is like oh no only likes harry lyme we see the cat go outside and there's a man in the shadows in a doorway and the cat goes up next to him and starts like playing with his shoelaces (laughs) so charming i love some cat content in in my film and then uh later when 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 joko is leaving he sees this 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 these feet essentially with the cat and, and is like, come on, who are you? Who are you spying for? Why, why, why are you telling me, huh, buddy? It is, it, it is real. It's where the New York really comes out of cotton is yeah. when he's doing that yelling. There's real like, hey, now, see? Anyway. Um, and he's, he's yelling so loud in the street that a, that a, that a woman across the way turns on her light, opens a window, 
and a beam of light just perfectly hits hits the hits this doorway, and you see, oh buddy, that's Orson Welles. And, and uh, gotta be honest, I started tearing up when that <laughs> happened. And I love Orson Welles so much. It, it's incredible, and I wish there was a version of this film where he's not in the opening credits. Where, well, we don't talk about how he's in this film. Yeah. And so everyone gets to be like, oh shit, it's Orson Welles. The the perfect way to watch this film is with a full understanding of who Orson Welles was, but not knowing that he's in this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, like, so much of the power of Orson Welles is is the supreme subjurating confidence that emanates from him. Yeah. Like, like a son. And, because this was, I think, I saw this very young. Mm. One. Two. I was barely coherent. I d I didn't know what Vienna was. All I knew was that I needed some milk. <laughs> no, it was like 10, 11, 12. Right. And so I would not be surprised if it was my first non-Transformers uh Wells interaction. Right. And even yeah. then I was like like holy shit. Yeah, I I I I think I watched this about like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. And uh, I I nineteen fifteen. And no, I watched it when I was the age of about 15 or 16. Ah. Yeah. 1,516. Yes, yes, correct. <laughs> and uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Time Lord. Cool. Yeah. From uh, the planet uh, Gallifrey. Yeah. That's where and, they're from. In the constellation of? Uh, as soon as you say it, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know that. Like. I don't know. I'm just asking. Yes, you do. It's Castoberus. You fucking yep. idiot. I, 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 you have shamed this podcast. Yep. You've shamed yourself. Yep. There's tears rolling down his face mm. and just, it's like someone has- Rassilon. <laughs> Timothy Dalton as Rassilon. Uh, Richard Armitage in the audios. The third man. Yeah. After you give us like this incredible shot of like the, of the, the, the light hitting Orson Welles' face yep. and I start to tear up and like then like car drives past and then he's gone and then it's just like you just see shadows on walls and then and it's, it's always like just yeah it, so, this is around the point in the film which reveals that vienna uh, uh at least you know post-war was largely let uh, <laughs> to be a noir yeah um there were light around every corner there was a light but when you round the corner the light was gone yeah <laughs> it's very like, strange and that is one of the things I love about the way that Kraska shoots these movies, like, he does not give a shit about, like, no. the internal logic of why the light would look like this. He's like, I just want to have uh, the biggest, coolest shadows you've ever fucking seen in a movie. Damn. And, like, and so then, like, there, there is this chase scene, which is shot entirely in shadows on walls. <laughs> yeah. Which is, it's so, it's so beautiful. There's the point, uh, later where there's a man selling balloons and he's introduced by having his shadow be three stories tall yeah. on a wall. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for like 30 seconds before you see him, he's like, there's just, there's like this giant ominous shadow coming around a corner for a while. And I mean, it's just a little old man of his balloons. It's, it, it, it's, it's such a pity. That so few people remember it, and that it really only exists to to be the source of that one reference <laughs> and otherwise peerless film Triple X. Yep. Absolutely, one of my favorite things about about this movie is the way that Holly Martin's changes over film, and the way specifically that, that like Trevor Howard uh, um, tries to like change him from being you know, like a callous American yep. and, into someone who is concerned with like like internationalism which is what the film like is about it's about like learning to 
give a shit about people who aren't just like uh, uh, uh like your friends from college or like uh, attractive to you yeah and and uh so r- r- right at the beginning of the film uh he he goes uh he he ends up at harry lime's funeral and he meets uh, uh he, he meets major calloway by trevor howard and trevor howard takes him to a bar and like gets him drunk and tries to like like get some information about harry lime out of him and calloway tells him you know i'm 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 i'm, I'm glad i'm glad i'm glad harry lime's fucking dead he was the biggest racketeer in in this in this town and Holly immediately gets all defensive and he's like, Oh, what he so he sold a couple of tires on the black market, you piece of shit. Go after the real go after the real problems. You're yeah. always going after small problems. And then a while later, after Holly's done a bunch more investigating, Major Kellaway like brings him into the police station one day and just says, like, I think you should actually like know what what racket uh, uh, uh what racket Harry Lyme was involved in. And skimming and diluting penicillin yeah. so that sick children would be in rapturous, torturous pain. Yeah. And, and there, there is this fantastic scene of, of Holly, like, looking over all the evidence. But, like, we, we don't see the evidence and the evidence, like, it, we do see that kind of doesn't really matter. It's yeah. just all this, like, montage of, like, different pieces of paper being pushed into frame. There, and there's a bit where he is reading something that's written backwards, so he puts a mirror next to it, yeah. which is like, I oh, like that old school spycraft. Yeah. And, and the, the whole point of his montage is, like, the, the evidence is so definitive and yeah. the, the outcome of the scene is, like, it's about, like, Holly being faced with, like, the unavoidable fact that this man who he spent the entire film, like, eulogizing and hero-worshipping is a monster, and, like, he cannot avoid that anymore. And I, I, I love I love how that how that montage, like, plays out. But within, like, the... And, like, Joseph Cotton, um, never better. Hmm. I, th- I think one of Reed's many skills is getting people's best performance out of them. I think James Mason is never better than... Oh, I, I, absolutely, a, yeah. ...an odd man out, and... uh uh, Ron Moody and Oliver, <laughs> um, uh, and of course uh, Marlon Brando in the bits of Mutiny on the Bounty uh, that Carol Reed shot before Marlon Brando had him fired. Oh, it was, it was br- 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 Brando was the one who got rid of him. I believe so. Oh, okay. uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird that would happen on a Brando film. I will. Normally, Brando is a real Vin mm. to get us back to our major talking point, Triple X. Uh, and that he seems ready, willing, and able to share the limelight and creative control yeah. uh, in a way that is both mature and adult-like. And then, so later on in the film, when Holly has seen that Harry's like back alive again, and he's trying to figure out uh, uh, what, what's happened to him. Holly has agreed to kind of like take part in like a sting operation. Yeah. First, we should talk about the the, the Ferris wheel scene. Yeah. Like the the most iconic uh, moment in the film, apart from the like running through the tunnels and stuff. It's kind of the bit that sticks in your brain. It's the yeah. bit that's weirdly the most referenced. Yes, it's in Living Daylights. It's it's referenced in Before Sunrise, it's like Living Daylights and Before Sunrise are kind of the two extremes of what I think good films are. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and so like so once he's seen Harry, Holly gets in touch with some of the guys who like, helped fake Harry's death, and he basically says, "I, I, I want one of whom is holding a dog in." 
one scene, which is great, but yeah. just I just want good cat content, good dog content. And he's yeah. holding a dog in a way that can only be explained as I'm holding this so it's in a nice, tight, tight close-up of me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because this film is uh, uh, almost entirely in close-ups unless you're seeing, uh, unless they want you to see a giant shadow on a wall. It is either like from oh. someone's eyebrows to their lips or from uh, uh, a mile away. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and we should say, uh, 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 w- like, w- w- was was everyone who made this movie wearing clogs? Because, uh, by God, is it Dutch? <laughs> <laughs> there is... Um, every, every, every fucking angle in this movie is, uh, is so canted. Oh, boy. <laughs> I I I, lo- I love it so much. I what I is this film the Joker because its view is pretty twisted. Yeah, is is this a Kevin Smith movie because its view is askew? <laughs> yeah, no, good and scene. Yeah. Um, I, like there are multiple stories. Um, I well none of which I presume are true. Which is like when Carol Reed was done shooting, the crew gave him a spirit level, or one of his friends <laughs> sent him a spirit level. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but also, you like Dutch angles. Normally, you're like. <laughs> This feels strange. Yeah. Why am I in this? This is odd. The world is, or it's Battlefield Earth where you're like, was something wrong with the camera? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I've seen movies where I'm like, there's too many Dutch angles. Not, not sure why, why you're going this hard on the Dutch angles. And, 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 but with Reed, there is this almost Ozu thing, which is the, the, there is very little, um, Jed, graphical logic in the film Mm. it's all about symmetry and aesthetics like it breaks the 180 rule quite a lot but it gets away with that because every shot is balanced even the canted angles Mm. are balanced and because the craft of that and like the beauty of how it knows to look like i just i feel like i would never have noticed how dutch this film was if it wasn't like the third most famous thing about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And like the first two being like, it's good. And at the end, a guy sticks his hand through a grate in a scene I like to call the great escape. Thank you. Hold your applause. <laughs> Try the lobster. Tip your waitresses. I'm here all week because I live here where we're at my house. Yep. If you want to know where you was not, uh, it's uh, the comedy club. Well, yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. Book me. Book him. Send him to comedy jail. Book him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 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 yeah. So Holly, uh, uh, makes an arrangement to meet up with, with Harry and they meet at a Ferris wheel. Yeah. Uh, and then they get on the Ferris wheel and, uh, they have, uh, an incredible conversation which takes the exact length of one Ferris wheel ride. No, because uh, every time they get on this Ferris wheel, every time I've seen this film, um, I'm like, and then, he says the cuckoo clock thing yeah. gets off the first row, but he, uh, but he doesn't. The, the conversation continues. They do a revolution and then they get off. Yeah. And, and, and then Wells and then leads get- on like an incredibly, uh, uh, an incredibly cutting, uh, bomb mop. But, um, but, 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 but yeah, so on, on the, uh, on the, on the Ferris wheel, they have this conversation about like, oh, um, oh yeah, yeah. So, so they have this conversation where, where Holly is like, you diluted a bunch of penicillin and people died because of you. Uh, isn't that like fucked up and bad? Why are you doing that? Yeah. And, and Harry's like, who cares? Yeah. Like the, the world is hell. We just went through like the biggest war anyone's ever seen. Millions of people died and no one gave a shit. Mm. Like gov- gov- governments don't care about us. 
and the the only thing we can do is sprint for ourselves. And then he he opens the window to the Ferris wheel. And he juts out his teeth and says, "You mad, bro?" <laughs> he 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 opens the door to, to the Ferris wheel and he he points down at the ground, all the, all the people walking through the fairground, and he's like, "Can you honestly say if I was to offer you?" Twenty thousand dollars for each of those, each of those little dots that stop moving. Can you, can you tell me you wouldn't take it? And just what, just like what one of one of the, as I said before, Orson Welles can sell fucking anything. Yeah, he he is the most magnificent screen presence of all time, and he can monologue like fucking no one. Yeah, uh, but but like I think this especially is like one of one of one well, of no, his best speeches well i i think it is the i think yeah. it I, we'll, we'll we'll get to touch of evil when we get to touch yeah. of evil but i think so much of the success of touch of evil is that it does not give him a moment like this and mm. uh, uh, yeah uh, it's like a perfect insight into someone who is like who has been so corrupted by like like violence and like the lust for like power and money that that human life has lost all meaning and it's just just a beautiful scene and then at, 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 at the, the, the Ferris wheel makes its full rotation. They get off. And as Wells is about to leave, he, he says, uh, <laughs> Don't be so gloomy. After all, it's not that awful. But what the fella said, in Italy for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed. But they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. So long, Holly. Which is which is like false, yeah. but uh, an incredible speech and like a perfect explanation of how this man views the world. And 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 like the interesting thing about it is that it, it's it's a, a beautiful bit of poetry. It's the one bit of the film that we can pretty much confirm Wells wrote. Yeah, I mean that's a good enough contribution. Yeah, he's also it's great and it's wrong. Yeah, and the film knows it's wrong and trusts you to know it's yes. wrong. And I think like, after the war, like Wells was like I think very interested in like the ideology of fascism yeah like he, he made a fantastic film called the stranger uh which came out in like either late 1945 or early 1946 uh where, where, where he plays an escaped uh, nazi war criminal which is it's one of my favorite wells movies it's one of my favorite performances of all time and i think he, he really like kind of dives deep in that movie into like what makes a nazi tick and I think in this, in the like cuckoo clock speech, I think very specifically, he's like, this is a man who like, who saw the war and decided, yeah, the, 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 like, the, 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 the Nazis kind of like, they, they kind of had it figured out. Not, not necessarily in the, in the like genocide stuff, yeah. but, but, but like, like that, their, their whole like approach to like, like power and like what power is good for. It's, it's not in the script, but I think like in Orson Welles' mind, He's like, I think he's playing like Harry, like Harry Lyme is a man who's who has been like, uh, uh, who 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 has been like basically turned to fascism. Yes, and and that's why it's so interesting to me that like off off the back of the success of the Third Man, uh, you know, um, it won Oscars. Uh, uh, it it was acclaimed in its time yes. as it is now. Um, uh, it, it was the first film ever to win Best British Film at the Baftas. Mm. Um, and probably still is the best British film. I don't know. There are lots of very good British films. Yeah. Wallace Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit. <laughs> that sounds sarcastic. I love that film. What followed it is that then there was like 
a radio spinoff of Harry, a prequel, yeah. uh, Harry Limes, uh, other adventures is kind of like this roguish anti-hero in post-war, um, Europe, which is, and, and like Wells wrote some episodes. He acted mm. in all of them, obviously. Uh, and he adapted one of those episodes to a film later, but like, it's a bit like the Punisher yeah. <laughs> in that like, no, the point of the character is that he's irredeemable and that any prequel would just be about like this borderline sociopath explaining why it's okay for children to suffer. Yeah, to, to die of meningitis because he wants to make $70. And, and he, and it's so interesting because that speech and that scene seems to kind of sway Holly just a little. So after that meeting, Holly, like uh, 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 Holly, Holly agrees to be part of the sting operation, uh, and but his his uh, uh, but what what he wants in return is he he wants he wants Anna to be able to leave uh, uh, Vienna yep. because uh, 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 because she uh, had uh, uh, she had forged papers and because uh, she was from Czechoslovakia and so she had to hide because the Russians were going to send her back yeah uh, and and throughout the whole movie she's kind of like under threat of being of, of of being sent back to Czechoslovakia the whole time and 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 so Holly says. You know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll help you catch, I'll, I'll help you catch Harry Lime, but you have to get her out of here. Mm. And, uh, so as she's being, uh, t- t- taken to the train station, uh, to, 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 to be, to be sent, uh, somewhere safer, uh, Holly also goes to the train station to, like, secretly, like, see her off, uh, because he, he can't let her see him because then she'll know something's up, uh, but she does see him, and, uh, she comes, she comes in, she figures out, are oh, you, like, traded, you like traded my life for Harry's essentially, mm. and but and but because she is still in love with Harry, even though she knows what a monster is, uh, she won't let him do it. Uh, and 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 like that, that 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 kind of like resways Holly back away from wanting to 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 catch Harry. He he he's like, oh yeah, this guy's my friend for years. Even if he has done bad stuff, I I can't be involved in 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 helping to helping to get him killed. Yeah. Um, and that's when he's like, I'm just going to go. And then on the way to the airport, the major takes him to a hospital, uh, uh to a ward full of, uh, uh, the victims of Harry Lyme. Yeah. And, uh, this is my favorite scene. Uh, yeah. You, you, you don't see a child, you don't see anything, just all these people staring kind of, uh, hor- horrified into, into it, beds. Yeah. I mean, occasionally uh, there was one shot of a nurse uh, picking up a stuffed teddy bear, uh, 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 a stuffed teddy bear out of a cot and putting it down on a pile of other children's toys. And yeah, it, 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 it is like, it, 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 it gets the tone exactly right for a scene about like, uh, children dying horrifically <laughs> in this, like, in this, what is otherwise you know, and, and like a mystery adventure movie. Well, and, and it's exactly as horrifying enough to kind of eliminate any chance of redemption. Yeah. Uh, of Harry, of, of Harry Lime. And so Holly is like, oh, fine. Yeah. I'll arrange to meet up with old Hazelimo. Yeah. And I, I just love the, like the way that uh, Trevor Howard is able to sway Holly like both times. It's not by like threatening him the first time. It's like by appealing to his rationality in the scene where they go with the evidence. And then in this scene, it's like fully by just like appealing to his empathy and like trusting that Holly will be like a, a like decent enough person to, to like want to help once he's been kind of confronted with the, the horrors of, of like, 
of 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 disease in post war Vienna. So they try to set up the sting, uh, but Anna warns. That's where, that's where we get the balloon man oh, shot. Yeah. But Anna warns Harry. Yeah. And so Harry is like, I know where I should go into the sewers. No, and it's very poorly lit down there. No one will be able to see me. So I'm going down to these sewers, hope nothing iconic happens down while I'm down there. The cops and Holly follow, and it's like every shot is the best looking shot yeah. in noir action. It's like, yeah, and it's I think incredible. Like, and like the, the, this, this is the point where where the geography becomes like really detached. And yeah, if you if you're tracking it super close like kind of throughout it doesn't really make sense yeah but this is where it becomes obvious yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 like uh, like yeah the, the the like layout of these tunnels makes no sense and uh and like it's all just designed around like where where can we have like the coolest light source to create the best shadows to make the best shots yeah and i think it uh it, it absolutely works and it's an unimpeachable uh, uh like five minutes of cinema it yeah, and, and, and Harry shoots the major's friend who is basically most notable for punching Holly earlier in the film and also being played by future M. Bernard Lee. Mm. He dies in a way that I describe as quite Bernard Lee, uh, and, and shoots Harry and Harry climbs up, uh, reaches his fingers through a grate, uh, uh, yeah. just desperately and pathetically, uh, reaching for escape. But none comes and, and he dies. Yeah. And, but that's not the end. The, the end is, of course, um, it's ha- Harry's second funeral, his, yeah. prop, his proper one this time. Um, yeah. The first one, they bury the, bo- the body of the orderly who was stealing the penicillin, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, cause they dig up the bury, they do, they're resurrectionists for a moment. Mm. But at the risk of missing his flight to Vienna, he's like, I just, uh, gonna say have a chat to anna and do you know what she has to say about that mm-hmm. nothing she walks right past him and it's damn cold yeah the 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 final shot of this movie is like a minute and a half long it's just a it's just a locked up shot in the middle of the in the middle of the road with anna walking down towards holly and and him went to talk to her and she walks right by him past the camera and then holly just uh, lights up a cigarette and then slow fade to black. Good movie. <laughs> Incredibly sound. It, yeah, it's it feels ridiculous for people to make films like this after this. Which is not to say that everyone should give up, but it's kind of so such the platonic ideal of the thing. Yeah, and like obviously the way to make films like this after this are to queer it or to question it or subvert it or unpack it or juxtapose it. Right. Yeah. But that, that, that people continue even today to be like, let's just make some straight noir. And you're like, why? <laughs> Painters aren't lining up, you know, to uh, looking at the starry night and being like, okay, have a crack. No. Okay. What, the- what, what if I did, uh, what if there was a sequel to the Sistine Chapel? <laughs> the Sistine Chapel? Yep. Um, the sequel? Cha- no, there's, there's Sistine Chapel, but the I in Sistine is now two I, so it's yeah. the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, which also works because it's like, it's like, it's not Roman, it's Italian, which is like Roman, so you got the Roman numerals. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, incredibly sound. And I mean, obviously I have some 
quibbles with it, but they're all in light of juxtaposing it against clear high watermark of film in general. There are years, you know, mm. who, when, when Carol Reed called cut 1948, 1949, did he know that, that his film would be a spark of inspiration? in 52 years time i don't think he did so the cohen diesel and moritz and um wilkes would come together as an algonquin round table and say the problem with spy fiction is that there's just not enough ramstein we need a scene with orbital i what if the next spy, great cinematic spy, wasn't a fuddy-duddy in a bow tie. What, what if he wasn't? Let's just say, uh, what, what if he wasn't a, our, our, our daddy's spy? Yeah, what if he was a extreme sports guy who hangs out with Tony Hawk and Eve, hip-hop artist, and we could introduce him doing... Uh, the most extreme thing possible, stealing and crashing a car. And it, it's, it's crazy to me to, to even describe these things because everyone knows them so well. Yeah. I feel like we've actually secretly talked enough about Triple X in this episode. Cause what more is there to say? Like it's gross. Yeah. I mean, there, 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 there's a little bit I want to talk about, which is. For the first uh, one and a half scenes, uh, I was convinced this was going to be a secret masterpiece. <laughs> the, the first one and a half scenes of this movie are kind of incredible. It, it opens immediately with a guy who's just like, he looks like a regular spy, you oh. know? He he looks... Oh, well, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. So it, it opens with like a guy running down an alleyway. He's yeah. got like a microchip or something. Nervous scientist is his name. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, he's running down. He's about to go into a, he's about to go into a doorway into like a gothic church. And, uh, then out of nowhere, a zip line just like, like shoots down, like attaches into a door next to him. And a man all clad in black zip lines down it and kicks him and, uh, then steals a microchip and takes off his like ninja suit to reveal he's a, he's a blandly good looking guy in a tuxedo. Yeah. And he walks in. He opens the door into this gothic cathedral, and it turns out there's a Rammstein concert going on inside. <laughs> and uh, they're breathing fire and they're shit breathing like fire. That. It's uh, it's uh, 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 hilarious, and he starts like going through the crowd, and then like bad guys are coming in after him. And uh, for, for some reason, there's like a mezzanine in this church <laughs> yeah. where uh, where uh, where where New Zealand actor Martin Sokas and uh, 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 oh. It's from New Zealand. His, from his New flawless Eastern European, <laughs> Eastern European accent uh, really landed for yep, me. Where he's hanging out with Agia Argento and uh, a bunch of uh, 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 Eastern European uh, henchmen. Yeah, they've got names like uh, Kirill and Kolgia. Yeah, Victor Vic- with a K. Yeah, uh, good, good stuff. Th- this group of people, they're of course called Anarchy Ninety Nine. Oh, because is that why they kept saying 99? Yeah, okay, yeah, Okay, yeah. did not get yeah. that. And right. I, yeah, because we, I feel like when you're part of a terror cell, it's good to have a name that kicks ass. 
and that you could definitely seem like if it's written in letters like you see that poster i have there yeah see how those letters are on fire they are and well, what what do they spell out you <laughs> i think it's funny if you use it because it sounds like i'm making it up okay so uh, th- this is a true thing that youper has uh, uh, he, he has a poster on his wall that he made black text on a white background of uh, text on fire and it says the darden brothers <laughs> I think it's good. Yeah, because he likes what Darden Brothers. <laughs> and that's how I feel about them. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's I, I believe, hand-drawn. Is this hand-drawn? No, no, no. That, that, that was a font I found. Oh, okay. Because uh, it looks kind of similar to your your, uh, your your Suspiria 2018 handmade t-shirt you're currently wearing. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. You, and I'm also currently wearing my, my handmade minor fret t-shirt. Which I've just become very aware. It does seem like it's warning people about you. I mean- Look, I <laughs> I have uh, for that every single time I've left the house wearing this shirt. And, and do you think people treat you as a minor threat when you're wearing the shirt? Um, not 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 any more than usual. Okay, calm down. <laughs> Don't. Whoa. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so then, while while Ramstein is still playing, Martin, so he has his brother character, uh, who's who's called Carol, who's like the he's like a crazy sniper guy. Yeah. Uh, he. Gets down on the floor, wearing his bloody leather, his black leather pants, and he uh, he uh, does like a cool sniper shot on this on this special agent. Uh, so the the, the 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 secret agent guy jumps on stage uh, and is trying to is trying to like look for an escape. I mean, he gets shot while he's on stage and he falls back, and they and the crowd catches him <laughs> like it's crowd surfing. Yeah. And they just kind of throwing his limp body up in, up <laughs> yeah. in the air while Ramstein plays a song, which I believe is called Bang Bang. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, and Everything you need to know about Triple X is the fact that there is a James Bond alike, and Ramstein sing "Bang Bang," and then a man named Carol shoots someone as if it was the third bang. Yeah, and and then I mean his his lifeless body is crowd surfed by Ramstein fans, and like that entire scene, I was like. Uh, this is hilarious yeah. and awesome. <laughs> yeah. This is the exact level I want this movie to be at. This yeah. is, uh, this is great. And then, uh, then it like cuts over, to, it cuts over to America and you're like, it's like, it's like a, uh, it's like a very standard establishing shot of the like White House. <laughs> and then it pans around and does the longest zoom you've ever seen <laughs> from the White House to like, to Langley and goes into the CIA. <laughs> uh, into the CIA through vents and now these vents you may have thought they were real but let me tell you they're the most 2002 computer generated effects ever like so things are things i love in movies uh orson wells uh matte painting backgrounds incredibly long cgi zooms yeah uh i i love i love it in the movie run all night the 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 liam neeson uh uh, uh, jean collette sarah movie which has uh we're like Every, uh, uh, we I think mean, every transition between scenes is like, a, a, is like a Google Earth zoom where the camera pulls up in a crane shot originally. Then it turns out it's a CGI crane shot. The, the will, like, New York turns into Google Earth and it, it, like, zooms up and then, like, moves over to a different part of New York and zooms back in. It's incredible and I love it. It's so much fun. But, um, and, and, and this does, this movie does that as well. And I was like, yes, this is what I want. And then as, yeah. and then as soon as people start talking this scene, you're like, yeah, this is kind of boring. And then going yeah. for like, 
oh, there's some bad stuff going on, and we need to we need to send in a team to stop it. And then Samuel L. Jackson walks in, and he's like, because of oh. course Samuel L. Jackson is in this film. Yeah, because he, he's in every movie. Well, and it just seems like if Samuel L. Jackson wasn't in this film, you'd miss him mm. in a way that, like, if the lead was Eric Banner, as was apparently mooted. Like, I yeah. that. You'd be like, you wouldn't be like, I wish this was Vincent Diesel. But like, just just just, just imagine Eric Banner being in this a year before Hulk. Just I like need to change my pants. The, the, the two most I made different some approaches. Jizz music. <laughs> the two most different approaches you can think of to like making in to making like a modern action movie. I imagine the whole team who worked on the Hulk. So, Hulk, not the Hulk. Sorry, just, just on Hulk. Hulk. So you've got Anger Lee. Uh, um, yeah, from 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 a Stuart Lee joke. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly, um, Sam Elliott, uh, Josh Lucas as well. Yeah, I believe. He is. Yeah, he's good uh, in that. Uh, Nick 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 Nolte. Oh man, Nolte. Nick, Nolte's so good in Hulk. And imagine and those giant mutant uh, dogs. Now just Im- now just imagine Nick Nolte as the head of a terror cell called Anarchy Ninety Nine. <laughs> now he'd be the police officer, right? It doesn't oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, um, uh. Yeah, so so Samuel L. Jackson starts talking and he's like, no, we can't send in, like, regular spies. We just send in a regular spy. He got killed. Hmm? We need some kind of suicide squad. Yeah. He he shows, like, a bunch of pictures of, here are some dudes. They're, like, the lowest of below, but they're good at stuff. And we should get them to do stuff for us. Because, like, they're they're expendable, like the expendables. And uh, then, and then, like one of the pictures is of uh, uh, is is of Vincenzo Petrol. And then, as the scene ends, it cuts to the back of someone's neck, a tattoo. No, no, it, it cuts to the senator in the car. Yeah, there's there's like Sacramento, California. There's an establishment shot of like a golf club. Yeah, uh, a red like Corvette drives up. With a with a senator in it, played by Tom Everett, and there is there's a bumper sticker on the back of this Corvette. Do you know what the bumper sticker says, Yuva? I hate skateboarding. It says skateboarding is a crime. <laughs> it's of course I a, prefer it's my of course puncher. a it's of course a repost to the classic skateboarding is not a crime stickers, <laughs> which you may remember from the classic XKCD uh, comic. Uh, where, where someone says, when I'm present, skateboarding won't be a crime, but those dumb fucking stickers will be. <laughs> but, um, the senator shows up. He looks like someone who, uh, would not have a bumper sticker on his car, uh, but he does and anyway. And would very much not own a red Corvette uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's almost like a, uh, uh, it's almost like there's some lazy characterization in this movie. I don't think it's so much lazy as it is deliberately elliptical mm. and nomic. I think this film implies more than it says. So uh, he, he he gets out of the car and he starts like shouting at the valet and he's like he's doing some like little bit of like racist stuff. He's like, Oh, do you even speak English? Why did it take so long to get here? We come from Tijuana? Ugh, but. And then it cuts to the back of someone's neck. He's got a triple X tattoo. He takes the keys. It's, it's ice cube. Vin- <laughs> it's ice cube. It's it's Vin Diesel. He gets in the car and he uh he puts it into gear, or he puts it into reverse. There's, the tires do a sick squeal as he pulls out and spins around, does some cool driving. 
Then, and and then Tom Everett gets out his phone and he's like, I'm a senator. Someone just stole my car. Uh, and, and then Vin Diesel gets the car outfitted with a bunch of webcams. Yep. And, and of course. Well, a, a, a bunch of crash resistant webcams. <laughs> they're like encased in steel. Yeah. Don't, they're, 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 they're like, they're like taped all over the car so he can, so he can do like monologues from like three different angles. And, and his monologue is like, this guy doesn't like video games or skateboarding. What a dick. I'm going to crash his car. Well, yeah, yeah. So his, 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 he, he does this whole monologue. He's like, this, this senator, he keeps, his, this senator's like Richard someone. He keeps calling him Dick because, uh, jokes. And he's like, oh, Dick here tried to get rock music banned because he doesn't like the lyrics. Hey, Dick, it's just music. And then, and, and then he says, Dick also tried to, he, he, he introduced legislation to, to take all the video games off the store shelves because he thinks video games rot the minds of the youth. Well, hey, I played them and I'm still here. Oh no, it, it's, leave us alone, Dick. It's the only education oh, right. we yes, have. Yes, it's that. And, and the film begins as it means to go on with Vin Diesel saying lines of dialogue that on a like i'm sure on the page if not sparkled then sh- at least like the ink was a bit you know when ink is yeah yeah when 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 you when 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 you when you give a good ink <laughs> I, and then he crashes the car off a uh, off a bridge yeah and he, he's like we're going to crash this guy's car to teach him a lesson about how about not being a dick so my main problem with this scene is uh uh, this is uh, the shallowest and most performative approach to activism I can possibly think of. And uh, as was said by Elliot Kalin on the Triple X uh, Return of Xander Cage episode of The Flophouse, when Xander Cage uh, uh, does a whole thing in some like uh, uh, South American dictatorship, uh, he he does like a whole bunch of stunts so that he can reconnect like a satellite so that all the people of this country can watch uh, can watch a soccer match. Elliot makes a point like. No, like, the, the, the truly radical thing for this character to do would be to, uh, stand up to the status quo and help, uh, uh and help either take down or, like, uh, in, inspire the people to revolt against their corrupt and authoritarian government rather than just, like, provide these people with the, uh, bread and circuses, okay, sports that are used to help keep them docile. And that's basically what this scene is as well. It is this, like, idea of rebellion that is totally disconnected from uh any actual rebellion his his way to make the senator who is introducing like 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 actually like censorious and authoritarian uh uh like legislation uh his response to that is what if i drove this guy's definitely insured car off a cliff and film myself being like hey don't be mean about rock music it's just music like there there is there is no there is no idea that like that, that 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 Vin Diesel expresses about like why rock music is good rather than just to devalue it by saying it's just music. It's almost like or like video like don't be mean about video games. They're all we've got. Hmm. He has he has there's there's no sense of a deeper critique about uh about the way that the system works to disempower the proletariat. They're uh, interesting points well made, and mm. I would agree. But I have just found uh. A five-star review on Letterboxd, which okay. I find incredibly compelling. Right. And I think this rebuts a lot of the points you just made and makes a clear case for why Triple X is a five-star film. Well, I am excited to hear it. 
The best action films always represent the zeitgeist. Rainbow expressed feelings about patriotism, Reaganism, and the 80s obsession with extreme physique. Terminator was rife with commentary about artificial intelligence, the internet, and how technology will affect warfare. Triple X is the perfect encapsulation of the late aughts artistic sensibilities and attitudes in relation to the then ever-present element of post-9-11 fear. Yep. Vin Diesel is the only person who could have played Xander Cage. This comes from the film's producers and director themselves, and it's proven by his presence in this and his absence in the sequel. Okay. Uh, from his early days as a spokesman for Shrek... <laughs> as a spokesman for Shrek. From his early days as a spokesperson for Street Sharks, <laughs> Vin has always been what's commonly referred to as a fucking nerd. That's in quotes, of course. For pretty much his whole career. Just look at... Just look into his current relationship with Dungeons and Dragons. This is not kayfabe. As Xander Cage, he plays himself just in his most idealistic and exaggerated form. This combination of gamer personality with extreme sports bravado resonated with me and a whole generation of kids who grew up playing Time Crisis, watching X Games, and finding no real relationship to the previous jockey action film archetype. That's right. Time Crisis and the X Games two incredibly unjock subjects <laughs> not only that he wasn't a posh brit or a blue-eyed white ex-soldier zander was ethnically ambiguous another one for the generation that was always already starting to reject the culturally segregated media ideals of the previous one yep if there's one thing i would say about triple x it is that it is not culturally segregated <laughs> If you couple this with the fast-driving attitude of The Fast and the Furious and the traditional James Bond meets the Matrix-style presentations of violence and sex, you have got a sure-fire win. Couple this with an unusually solid script. False. <laughs> Just inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. It, it, there's something unusual about it, and that's <laughs> the fact that by the amount of things that occur in it, just because they need to occur, uh, at the midpoint, uh, Zander's cover is blown, uh, just because it needs to happen. Yeah. Like, they just get a phone call and it's like, oh no, we got you, sorry. Anyway, a great supporting cast <laughs> that wear their roles like they live the characters. <laughs> There's even if I was making a positive reading of this film, yeah. like you have to talk about how like deliberately false the performances are. Mm. Like it's not. <clears throat> well, I mean, like I, I, I find like Martin Sokas performance to be like pretty fun. And yeah, but it, but, 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 but it's Kemp Russian villain performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a mask. And and, and also like Ajia Argento is uh, not good at this. Yeah. They're just like, and like Samuel L. Jackson is fucking earning his money and he earns yeah. money fucking hard, but that's because he is a diligent hard worker who puts in the hours, yeah. you know, um, and, and puts in the effort, but he's still playing like Augustus Gibbons, who is designed to be like, uh, X, why you gotta, uh, it's just a blah. Yeah. And there's also the general sense that everyone was having fun. It's now uh, probably good to mention that one stunt person died making this film. 
It's hard for you not to as well. Welcome to the Zander Zone. Oh, yeah. He also says, welcome to the Zander Zone a couple of times. And I live for this shit. Yeah. And the things I do for my country. And it's just... I yeah. re- so he, 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 here's a half-star review of The Third Man. <laughs> the story of this movie was broken, and a perfect and a perfect example of why show don't tell is a popular choice. It is, it is truly quite a disappointment to see such beautiful visuals with absolutely no backing or pacing. The characters of the movie are mere caricatures, with absolutely no development between them that is believable or otherwise emotionally investment-worthy. The show and each of- <laughs> This could absolutely be an accurate review of Triple X. Yeah. The, the shallow nature of people's investment with these sorts of stories are truly a show of how, of, of how the hollow individualistic nature of our, of, of our society. Uh, pertinent with the community development, this movie will fade. And I feel like the last thing worth saying about, um, Triple X. Oh, there's also another one that says, absolute filth, Orson Welles is a hack. <laughs> Here is a piece of IMDb trivia for Triple X. Vin Diesel performed many of his own stunts. However, according to the DVD commentary, Vin was sick for the (laughs) Corvette base jump, and so someone else had to do it wearing a Vin mask. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we we totally believe you, uh, you fucking candy ass. (laughs) No, don't. No, Vin. He'll come for us. So I, but I just remember being 15 in 2002 pardon me being like is this is this guy the new bond is this the new mm-hmm. thing and, and like the the obsessive re-editing what what rob cohen does call his like neo-cubist style of stunt mm-hmm. editing oh um, yeah uh, in the episode earlier when when you kept on talking about the neo-cubist editing it wasn't a bit he was doing that's a that's a thing that rob cohen genuinely <laughs> says about this film yeah uh, <laughs> And I remember being thrilled by it. And that the bit with the motorcycle over the exploding bridge looks incredible and is great. Yeah. But the rest of it. The, the, like, the one part with the motorcycle I really liked was he is driving up to a, like, a giant, like, like, pretend, like, five or ten meter tall barbed wire fence. And, uh, he's being chased by a helicopter and he somehow does a jump. There is, it is not sure, there is no sure of him jumping off anything. There is no yeah. ramp he goes over. He just does a jump and, uh, then he gets up to not the top of the fence, but like almost the top where there are two strands that are slightly far apart. And he like tips the motor, he tips the motorbike on its side and like slides through between the, the two strands of barbed wire. And, uh, I was like, that, uh, is so dumb and it fucking rules. Yeah. And yeah, if more of a movie had hit those sorts of heights. This would be a super fun, dumb action movie. Well, and it feels like like the tragedy of Triple X coming back as as Ice Cube and then Xander Cage returns, of mm. course, uh, as these kind of big films, is that it really feels like what Xander Cage should be is a series of like straight to Blu-ray action films where it is like Arnold Vosloo is is triple is a new triple x agent and he like and they just have five days of shooting dialogue and five days of shooting sweet ass stunts yeah. you know yeah like if, if, if this movie had done like okay instead of really well then like these days we would have like yeah we would have like straight to streaming uh sequel remake starring scott adkins yeah. but i would uh but i would adore 
Except there like one time that Scott Adkins played a character that's kind of like this in a movie. I think it's one of his worst movies, but whatever. Yeah. So I think it's shy. Uh, I I also think it's shy. And uh, there's one one last thing, which I think is another connection between this and the third man. Is uh, this movie also has a scene where where the villain explains his ideology and uh, why he's doing what he's doing, uh, and it fucking sucks and it's boring, and I don't remember any of it. And, but, but like yeah. he he is. He is so explicit about, like, uh, I'm doing this and I'm going to set off these biological weapons so we can take down all these bad governments and then have anarchy. Rawr. Yeah. We have no gods, no masters, stuff. And it, there's something it, 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 about them being post-Soviet states. It's yeah. something. There's, there's a like, bit of that. Yeah, and it, it just it rings so fucking hollow. And his his motivations, no matter how explicit he is about them, don't really make any sense and his ideology is is nonsense and yeah i think it's just like if 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 you if you watch the like go don't, don't bother watching this but like watch the no. watch the ramstein scene because that that's great but what watch watch the third man scene on the ferris wheel and then uh, if you've seen the third man before oh right what, yeah, what, yeah. What, like rewatch the ferris wheel scene and then watch the scene like final on youtube where, where, where martin sokas explains like his ideology and you just see, like, a perfect example of how to write that sort of scene and how not to write that sort of scene. Yeah. Don't watch Triple X. Watch The Third Man. And don't just watch The Third Man. Watch Odd Man Out, The Falling Idol, The Fallen Idol, and then The Third Man, because that is a real, like... Like, like doing doing those three movies in three years is an achievement. Yeah, the thing I can compare it and, to... And, like, n- none of these movies are, like, are, like, homework. They, 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 they no, are- they're, they're, and, and, like, so much uh, of what appeals to me about them is that they, like, like, the pacing feels modern. Mm. Like, they're yeah. not, yeah, they never feel like work. They're never eating your greens. Yeah. There, there is, there is one thing which I will say, which, um, on, like, um, uh, if, if you look on Letterboxd, um, or like most places they like include like a movie's tagline the 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 the, the tagline for Odd Man Out when it w- was released and still on most websites is uh, the most exciting movie ever made uh which is uh, not what the movie's trying to be at all and is uh, yeah. is, is a real misselling of the film but it's in, but it's incredible um but the yeah no the the thing I was going to say which is kind of pointless is that like I think the only comparable run of films of like someone doing three five star films in a row is possibly P.T. Anderson doing Master Inherent Vice and then Phantom Thread. Right. And those films were like made over like 12 years. <laughs> like they made these like yeah. it's incredible and great. Check, check it out. Uh, so what are we watching next week, Finn? Yeah. So next week uh, we are watching. Robert Brisson's 1956 uh, prison escape film, A Man Escaped. Uh, I, I've I've not seen a lot of Brisson, uh, but I, I I need to get more into him. Yes, yeah, this this will be my first. Okay, cool. Uh, and then with, with, with that, we are watching Mikhail Hafstrom's uh, Escape Plan, starring Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Yeah, finally together, Rocky versus the Eraser. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be good. Those two movies uh, are exactly the same in so many ways. Yeah, no, we're 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 in fact not watching Escape Plan. We are simply positioning a mirror next to my TV, <laughs> yeah. 
and playing it again. Well, it's the same experience. We're, 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 we're watching a man escaped, and then we are watching a man escaped in reverse, and that's just escape plan. <laughs> we can people find you, Finn. Uh, who cares? You can find the show on Twitter at ShutdownPod, or you can email us at uh, ShutdownPod at gmail.com. Uh, check out our website at shiteandsound.com. You can find me on all your, your various socialized medias as Yutha Lives. Uh, sign up for my newsletter at bit.ly slash Yutha Lives. Our theme song is The Nuts by Kazan Blam. Check them out on Bandcamp. Who is it good? Even bad ones. Go, Go watch them. Watch em.